Well, again, we are glad each and every one of you is here with us today as we are continuing a teaching series that we've been in called Foundations for the Valley. Say that with me, Foundations for the Valley. Say it a little bit louder now, Foundations for the Valley. Want to make sure we know what it is that we're talking about because this is actually not only a teaching series that we're walking through, but it's the name of the campaign that we find ourselves in in this season as God has us in a season of a crossroads as our lease comes to an end, May 31st, 2025, here at 795 Robo Road, grateful for the honesty and integrity of our landlord, just saying, I honestly don't know what's going to happen, but I can't guarantee or give you a long-term lease. And so we appreciate the heads up, because what that does is gives us a long, long runway, so to speak, uh, to really get ready for what it is that God may be doing. And so we're grateful for the opportunity to join God in that. And so foundations for the valley really signifies this idea of building our life and ministry on the work and person of Jesus. He is the cornerstone of our church. It is his church. We belong to him and we are for him and he is for us and we wanna be about what he's about. But the other part of it is this next generation emphasis and focus because the name of our kids' ministry is called Foundations but it's not limited to just that early childhood education part of it. It also speaks of caring for our middle school and high school students, as well as our college students, as well as our young adults and young professionals. We're thinking about the next generation. And the For the Valley piece of this is just this reminder that Riverman doesn't just exist for itself. We don't want to just cannibalize ourselves. <laughs> In other words, we want to be outwardly focused. We want to be open-handed. We want to join Jesus in serving people as he served them and sharing what he's come to do for all people. And so in order for us to just think through what it is that needs to happen in our own lives and hearts and to have the proper posture, what we've been doing is we've been journeying through the book of Numbers a bit. We've been listening to the nation of Israel going through this time of transition in their own lives as well. And really what I wanted us to walk away with is what will be our posture in the season that we find ourselves in? What is our inner attitude that then will lead how we go about operating in this season that we find ourselves in? And so as as we jump in today, one of the things I just want to say to you, and as we're going to do a bit of a review from where we've been, and if you haven't been here with us or haven't followed along, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to all the sermons in this series. And you can find those through our podcast channel. You can find those online as well. So I want to encourage you to do that because it will help even to give more context from what I'm sharing today. But one of the things I want to make sure happens for all of us is I want to make sure that we have ears to hear. I want to make sure that what we're going to listen to today would be heard in the tone in the way it was intended to be heard. Because a lot of times what can happen is when we get to a challenging part in a particular passage in text, it would be easy to find ourselves relating to it in a way that is our own experience. And I'm not saying your experience in itself is uh, something that we shouldn't be aware of and pay attention to, but what could happen unintentionally is we could miss God's heart for us in it. And so I want to make sure we have ears to hear. I want to make sure that we have open hands. I want to make sure there's a a humility from us. And that includes me. I know I'm delivering the message, 
But it's one thing to just talk about something. It's another thing to allow it to go deep within you and allow God to do a work in you as you bring something forward. And that's what I feel like this season has been for me personally. And so I want to encourage you, again, to let us have ears to hear. Let us listen to what God is saying to us. Let us be intentional with listening to one another. Because again, none of us has the full answer on anything and everything. We don't. Like, that's the beauty of this moment that we find ourselves in. That's what's uncomfortable about this moment, right? Is that we want to have every answer about every question. And a lot of the questions we don't have answers to yet. And that's the tension that we're managing right now. Of walking by faith and, and prayerfully having a wisdom that's discerning. And this is not a problem to solve. It's a tension to manage. And that's what we're doing. We're attempting to manage that tension, and we're doing it together. And so I want you to hear that on the front end of today's message. I'm grateful to be in a community where we can do that, where we can live this out together. So before we jump into the passage in particular, I want to make sure, again, just for a, a frame of reference, and as we have moved through a bunch of things, and some of you have missed certain weeks, and just want to give us a bit of a review to what we've said through this teaching series. So here's a couple of things to give you. And the first is we, we ask this question, do you want to go to the promised land? Do you want to go to the promised land? For the nation of Israel, it was a literal place that God had for them. It was a land flowing with milk and honey, right? We, we know that. We reread this through the scriptures. And for us, we, we believe God has a new home for us somewhere. We know it's in the Lehigh Valley. Someone was asking me where? Somewhere in the Lehigh Valley. <laughs> and they're like, uh, can you be a little bit more specific? I'm like, well, right now, that's what I have. That's what I have to give you right now. This is me being honest. And we've got a team of people that are going to help us think through and, and look through where and what it could look like and the potential of our new home. But we know that he has a place for us. And so we're prayerfully looking to that. But the other thing about this is it's not limited to our church home. There are many things that God wants to do in you and in your life, areas that he wants to deepen, areas that he wants to develop and grow you in. There are ways in which he wants to set you free from things that have held you captive. And he wants to do that. He wants to bring you into this place where you experience human flourishing, the flourishing that comes from the love of the Father through the finished work of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has that for you, and he wants that for you. And so when we think about this, there are areas in our life that God is saying, do you want to go? Do you want to join me? Do you want to be a part of what I'm doing? This brings us to the next part of what we said is, that you won't go if you aren't willing to grow. Let's say that out loud together. You won't go if you aren't willing to grow. You won't go if you aren't willing to grow really signifies about my own posture in the process. You know, throughout this whole journey, Foundations for the Valley campaign, one of the things that God has been inviting me to do is to deepen my dependence and my trust on him and to pray more than I just try to solve in my own power and my own strength. To have the intentional conversations that are necessary, to be planning, to work through a process, all these things. These things that in my own power and in my own might are not the way in which I would operate. 
And the Lord's saying, no, I want you to let me do what only I can do in you, but you've got to be willing. And I've got to the point where I say, yes, I'm willing. I'm willing. I'm willing to do what it is you're asking me to do. I'm willing to do what it is that you have for me. And that's a question that all of us need to ask. Am I willing? That's your part. That is your part in this process, in this journey. A willing heart. A willing heart to go the way of Jesus and what it is that he has for us. And that brings us to this next part here. Is that when Moses sent them out, he sent out 12 leaders from the 12 tribes of Israel. And as they saw the land, they gave back the report. And it says that 10 spies had paralyzing fear and two spies had an activating faith. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones who had the faith to believe that God was going with them, that God could do what only God could do. But the 10 spies looked at what they could do and what the other people could do to them. They took God out of the equation altogether. And so it started to spread. And I've said that both fear and faith are contagious. They spread like pink eye, like lice. They spread. They spread. They spread. They have a way of doing that. And, and fear has a way of taking shape in a lot of different ways. Sometimes it takes shape in anger and worry, anxiety that paralyzes us. Again, it's not that they were wrong to have some honest questions. We want honest questions. That, that helps define reality. It was about the posture of their heart, an unwillingness, an unwillingness to do what God asked them to do and what God had for them to do. And that brings us to the next part here, which is, are you feeding fear or faith? Which one are you feeding? We've said this throughout this series. Which one are you feeding? And as a result of faith being lived out by Joshua and Caleb, we start to see God's hand on their lives. But the other 10 they started to spread fear throughout the whole camp. It contaminated the whole camp so much so that they said things like, it would be better for us to go back to Egypt. It would be better for us to go back to slavery than to go to the unknown of what God's calling us to. This is what they literally said. This was actually in the passage we looked at last week. They got so upset at Moses and Aaron that they said, you know what? We should take up stones and stone them to death. We should kill them right now. I mean, again, the heart of these people, and again, we're talking about over half a million people, by the way. So it's not just like a handful of people. The whole camp, except for four people, Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron said, we should go. So fear is intoxicating. Fear is contaminating the whole camp. And that brings us to this next part. And it's really about sacrifice, because for them, they were unwilling to sacrifice their own personal comfort. And see, we don't serve a God who suffers from scarcity, but is abundantly adequate to meet all of our needs. He's abundantly able to meet all of our needs. And again, open-handed posture to knowing that God is at work. And in the midst of their inability to trust God, God comes and shows up at the tent of meetings and he asks Moses, how long will these people forget? How long will they treat me with contempt? These are God's words. This isn't a Joe Velarde special. This is what God said, contempt. And he says, it says in that passage that Caleb says, let's not rebel against God. Let's not do 
the thing that God's not asking us to do. Let's do what he's asking us to do. But they were unwilling. They were unwilling. And so this leads us to where we're going to be today. And it's simply a question for us. What's at stake if you don't sacrifice, if we don't sacrifice collectively? What's at stake if we don't sacrifice, if we don't walk in a posture of willingness and of surrender? If we don't say yes to Jesus, even when we don't have all the answers, when we don't say yes to him, when he's inviting us to the unknown, the uncomfortable, when he's inviting us to fully surrender, what's at stake? And really, bottom line here for us, here's what's at stake. When we aren't willing to sacrifice, we sacrifice securing our future and the future for future generations. And when I say secure, I'm not talking about the way the world maybe defines secure, but I'm talking about walking in all that God has for us, the shalom. I'm talking about being so future-minded while we still are faithful with today. And sacrifice is the invitation. Again, we were reminded that we're only responding to the greatest sacrifice that was ever given. And you know who gave the greatest sacrifice ever? Who, who was it? Who was it? That was an easy question, right? See, I'm helping you out this morning. Jesus, right? He gave it all. He gave it all for each and every one of us. He literally became poor so that we could become rich, spiritually speaking. This is what Jesus has done for us. Well, in the midst of all this, we hear this interaction between Moses and God. God is so upset at the nation of Israel that he actually, in Numbers 14, wants to wipe them all out, except these four people I mentioned. And Moses says, God, please don't do that. That would go against who you are. And what would the Egyptians say about you? And he has this pleading with God not to do that. And God decides not to take them out. But he talks about in this passage we're going to look at prior to the text, specifically we're looking at, about the spirit of Caleb. And that the spirit of Caleb is really what he's after, which is a spirit of willingness, of trust, of obedience, saying God goes with us. And if God goes with us, who could be against us? Who could stop what God could only do? And so that leads us to the passage we're in today. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open up with me to Numbers 14. Again, again, let's have ears to hear what the word of the Lord says here this morning. It says this, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. And I just have a question. What do you think grumbling sounds like? And if you have a, if you're a parent, if you're a parent, you know what grumbling sounds like, right? You know, right? You know, you know what that sounds like. You know what grumbling and complaining sounds like. You know, if you have a coworker, all they do is complain and grumble. Oh, are they, are they a joy to be around when they're like that? No, no, it's demotivating, right? It doesn't inspire. And so God is just making this observation. How long will this wicked community grumble against me. The one who brought them out of Egypt, by the way. He brought them out of slavery. He brought them out into this place that they're currently in and says, I have a land for you, a land flowing with milk and honey. He says, I've heard these complaints. I've heard these grumblings. And that's why really for us, one of the marks of how we mature, even as our walk with Jesus deepens, 
is to be a people who aren't marked with grumbling and complaining. Paul says in Philippians 2, if we're going to shine our light, we're to do everything without grumbling and complaining. And I think it's a reminder for us, and I know I don't always get that right, but what God is saying is how long? How long will they forget? How long will they keep grumbling and complaining? And then it continues on here, and it says, so tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In the wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the senses and who has grumbled against me. So I just want you to get this. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm going to give you what you said you wanted. You didn't want what I offered you. So I'm giving you over to your own desire and your own want here. You didn't want to follow me. You didn't want to trust me. All right, here, you can have the wilderness. You can have the wilderness. And he says very clearly, every one of you 20 years old or more who was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me will die in the wilderness. In other words, you will not inherit the promised land. And for us, as we hear that, we're like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? Wow, man. Well, I want you to know there's consequence when we don't choose to trust God's character. And when we choose not to follow what it is he's asking and having for us. That doesn't mean he's done with us. His heart for us is good, but he gave them what they wanted. And this is an important reminder, even as we talk about Jesus and does God send people to hell? No, no, no. God gives people what they want, which is a life apart from him. They want life in their own authority, in their own way. This is an example of what that looks like. It's not life, it's death. This is what the nation of Israel wanted, <laughs> except the four, right, that I mentioned to you. And then it goes on to say this. It says, not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb, son of Jephini, and Joshua, son of Nun. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I will bring them in to enjoy the land you have rejected. But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. And so again, we, we hear God's heart in this. He cares about the next generation, even in their lack of faith, 20 years old and older, right? He still says, hey, I'm gonna make a provision for the next generation. I'm gonna make a way for them to come in to the land. But the rest, the rest are going to fall in the wilderness. And again, we need to hear this in the context. God gave them an offer and an opportunity. They said no. They refused. They had contempt for God. They, even God's chosen servant leader, Moses, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And so he's saying, hey, I'm going to give you what you want. I'm giving you over to your desire. And so as we continue on here, it says, your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your what? What's the word here? Until the last of your bodies lies in the wilderness. Again, this is about unfaithfulness to God. This is about lack of trust. This is about the posture of heart. This is about saying when God is speaking and I'm unwilling, 
to listen when he then uses other people, they still rejected Caleb and his words. That was last week when he says, you're, you're rebelling against God. Let's not rebel against God. He's going with us. He's going with us. And he says, as a result of, of this, as a result of not responding to me, as a result of your unfaithfulness to me, you're going to spend 40 years here. And those who, again, who are 20 years and older are going to die in the wilderness. They're going to die in this journey. And again, you may not seem like his grace, but this was his grace to them. Because God is holy and righteous. And as we see in this passage prior, the verses leading up to this, he wanted to wipe them out then, as soon as they had contempt for God. <laughs> and Moses intervened. Moses stood in the gap for these people. So as we think about that, we continue to hear this. It says this, for 40 years, one year, for each of the 40 days you explored the land, you will suffer for your sins and know what it's like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will surely do these things to this whole wicked community, which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in, the, in this wilderness. Here they will die. Again, he says, you're going to spend 40 years here. And it represents one year for each of the days that they explored this promised land. But I want you to listen to how he describes them. Unfaithful? wicked, you've banded together against me. You've come against what I'm doing, what I'm about. And he says again, they will meet their end in the wilderness. Here they will die. As we continue on here, I want to just point out that it was 11 days actually to get to the promised land. 11 days. And in the 11 days it, it took for them to get to the promised land, as many scholars point out, Instead of going the journey of 11 days and receiving what God had for them, they ended up spending how many years there? 40, 40 years. Okay, so I know I've got some mathematic people here. Which one's greater, 11 days or 40 years? 40 years, right? 40 years, right? And again, I know I've got some smart college students over here, right? And so in the, midst of, in the midst of this, in the midst of their, their wandering for, for 40 years, again, it's a reminder that God doesn't want us to miss out. He wants to pay, us to pay attention to how he's working. And, and I want to be clear here. What this isn't is saying, hey, God, I'm going to do what, what, what I want to do, and I'm going to then pray that you bless it. That's not what we're talking about. <laughs> that, that still is another way of not being faithful and obedient to God. Instead, we need to pay attention and be a prayerful and say, God, how are you at work? And join him to what he's doing. Join him in that with a posture of humility and dependence. Not, hey, I've got it all figured out. I've got it all mapped out. And then I'm going to then pray some Jesus juice over this. Jesus uh, dust and pray that somehow this is all going to work out. Because again, those are my plans, not his plans. And I've been guilty of doing that in the past. And I know how it goes. It doesn't go well. But over years, God has just continued to remind me, hey, pay attention to how I'm working. Pay attention and join me. And then as we think about that, we can sacrifice and leave a mark on the next generation 
or we can live a life marked by spiritual spirals, or another way to say that is spiritual circles. Because you, you hear this word, they were wandering for 40 years, so it's like this, going round and round and round and round for 40 years, and round, and I know God was still there. He was there with them in the midst of all that, but just going round and round and round. You know what? Our lives can be like that, and they, they leave to a downward trajectory, not joining God in what he wants to do in our lives. But the choice is ours. We have a decision to make in the midst of that. We have a decision to make in what it is God is asking us, and it's about willingness. And so that brings us here as we continue in the passage. And it says this, so the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad what? What's the word here? A bad what? Spread it like lie, spread it like pink eye, spread a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. So these are the 10 guys, all right? And so when we read this, we're like, woo, God is holy and powerful and mighty. And we have to acknowledge that in his holiness and power and might, he doesn't make light of our sin, but praise be to God, he's paid a heavy penalty and price for it through the finished work of Jesus. The sacrifice that was given once and for all. But I don't want us to get a, a wrong mindset here. We need to see God for who he is, his power and his might. They were walking in the fear of what they didn't know. They were walking in the fear of others, not walking in a awe and reverence of who God is. This is what was going on in this community. And then it goes on to say this. It says, of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Japhini, survived. Okay, so the two guys who said, hey, we believe God's at work, they survived. When Moses reported this to all the Israelites, they, what's the word here? What did they do? They mourned bitterly. They mourned bitterly. Early the next morning, they set out for the highest point in the hill country saying, now we are ready to go up to the land the Lord promised. Surely we have sinned. So their tune has changed all of a sudden. And it's really interesting because they saw him bring them out of Egypt. <laughs> but because of what happened to these 10 people, these 10 spies, now they're like, let's go. Let's go. We know God is powerful now. We're going. We're going. We're ready. And at first glance, you're like, all right, man, the, the, the posture has changed. But don't forget, God had spoke already about what was going to be. His word has already been spoken. And his word doesn't return void. He's a, a, a promise keeper. He's the one that keeps his word. And it goes on, and it says this. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Why are you disobeying the Lord's command? This will not succeed. Do not go up because the Lord is not with you. He's not into this plan that you've concocted now. He's not into your change of trajectory after he has spoken what will be. Again, do not go up because the Lord is not with you. 
you will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there because you have turned away from the Lord. He will not be with you and you will fall by the sword. And this is a reminder that delayed obedience is still disobedience. This is a reminder, this is a reminder, even when we change posture and we recognize we've sinned, that doesn't mean the circumstances change or the consequences go away. But it also doesn't mean because our consequences and circumstances are this, or something that we don't want, that God's character and heart towards us isn't good. And we're going to see even more as we go through this. But I don't want you to miss this because it would be easy to be like, whoa, this sounds like karma to me, maybe. Is this spiritual karma that we're talking about? No, no, no. No. <laughs> He's still faithful. He's still powerful. He's still truthful. He delivered what he said he was going to deliver with his word. These are things he communicated to them. And then it continues on here. Nevertheless, nevertheless, say that with me out loud. Nevertheless, in their, what's the word here? In their presumption. Oh, I know better than what Moses is saying. I even know better than God. Though he's made it clear, they went up towards the highest point in the hill country, though neither Moses nor the ark of the Lord's covenant moved from the camp. In other words, other word, God's presence wasn't going with them in this. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in the hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to, what's the word here? Orma, right? They, what, what's going on? They thought, hey, you know what? We're going to change course. We're going to do it in our own way, in our own power now. And we're going to have victory. But defeat was theirs. Defeat was theirs. And I think for us, we need to just hear this because I don't want you to miss this. Because you're here today and you're like, man, as I listen to this, maybe you feel like you're going spiritual spirals. Maybe you're like, dude, I've totally blown it again and again and again and again. And I don't want to die I don't want to die in the way in which I'm missing out on the life that Jesus has for me. I want to experience something <laughs> even in the days that I have left here. And I want you to know, if you're there and you're here today and you're like, man, I've blown it, I've messed up, you're in good company because all of us have. All of us have. The issue isn't whether we've blown it or not and the issue wasn't whether they blew it or not. The issue was their posture throughout the process. They were told again and again and again, this is what God has said. But they had a hard heart towards him and his ways. Even to the point of being presumptuous, right? They didn't want what he was doing and how he was leading. So what will we do? What will we do when we know we've blown it? When we know we've been unfaithful? What is the hope for us even in the midst of that, because I don't want you to walk away with this message and be like, there's no hope. Man, all there is is just, man, if I've blown it, I've really blown it. Like, you know, there, there's no hope. But in Jesus, there is hope. There is hope. And as we continue on here, I want to give you a couple things. And then we're going to land the plane, so to speak, here. Just a couple words for us to consider. But I want us to be reminded that in Jesus... We have what we need. In Jesus, we have what we ultimately desire. 
Freedom and forgiveness. In Jesus, he's made a way, despite what we have done. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 8. It says this. Let's read this out loud together on the count of three. One, two, three. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is good news, friends. This is good news. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So even the things that we've done where we've blown it and he's bringing up for our good is for the intention to dig deeper with him. Not to shame us, not to condemn us, not to say you've blown it, you're a failure, you made a mistake, therefore you are a mistake. That is not the voice of Jesus. That is not the voice of Jesus. Now the areas where he says, hey, I love you, son. I love you so much that I want you to grow and I want to help you grow in these areas. I don't want you to be held hostage by the hurt and the pain of the past. Rather, I want you to process that and be set free. And it's Jesus who makes a way. It's Jesus who's provided the way through his life, death, burial, and resurrection. It's Jesus. In fact, this weekend, I've had a chance to talk to a, a community leader here in the Lehigh Valley. And he was calling me about, an, I thought he was calling me about an event he was doing. And he was like, tell me all about the event. And he's like, actually, that's not why I was calling you. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, I'm really wrestling with the difference between world religions and Jesus. And I've put my trust in Jesus, but I'm having a struggle here. I'm doubting. I don't know what to do with the doubt. I don't know what to do with the questions I have. And I said, oh, first of all, I'm honored that you even are inviting me into this space. Wow. I'm honored that I get an opportunity to talk with you about this. And I wanted him to know like God isn't afraid of your questions. And so we started to talk and I said, hey, here's the difference. World religions, including the world religion of Christianity, because I'm, I'm gonna make a distinction here in just a minute, is all about what I can do. I climb the ladder and I work and I work and I work in an effort and attempt to get what I ultimately need, which is forgiveness and freedom. Because I'm spiritually dead and I need spiritual life. And I said, so even the world religion of Christianity, if we, you know, a lot of it is do this, don't do that. You know, it's still another man-made way to get to God. But Jesus actually came down the ladder. Jesus made a way through his life, death, burial, and resurrection and showed up to over 500 witnesses at the same time. He gave it all for you so that you don't have to earn something, but rather you can receive and respond to someone. He's made a way. He's made a way for you, and he's made a way for me. And that's why your questions, he doesn't look at you with shame and mock you and ridicule you and say, you're an idiot or I'm done with you. No, 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 come. <laughs> come. Come with your questions. Come with your concerns. Come with your hangups. Come with your hurt. Because in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's good news, friends. And it continues on here. I want to give you a couple more verses here from Romans 8. It says, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh. Whose flesh? 
our flesh. <laughs> the issue wasn't the law. The issue was me. The issue is you. <laughs> by the flesh. It was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a what? Oh, he sacrificed. He became a sin offering for you and for me. He laid it all down for us. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to what? The Spirit. Oh, friends, think about this. Jesus took our condemnation. He was condemned for our sake. He took the sin and the death and the shame and the pride and the fear, and he took it all on himself. Shame has been shamed because of Jesus. And we don't live according to the flesh, it says here. But we live according to the Spirit. And that's why we have to manage attention right now, right? This is Spirit-filled living of saying, hey, in faith, I'm trusting you, and yet I need wisdom to discern how you're at work. I have a part to play in it, but I'm not doing it in my own power, and my own strength. I'm doing it by the power of the Spirit within me. And so are you. But again, we have to be willing. Daily saying, fill me, Spirit. Lead me. Show me. I want to be available. I want to be attuned to what you're doing. And then it goes on to say here, and these, this comes at the end of Romans 8, these verses here. And it's really important because some of us here today, we've blown it. We've messed up. We're in the midst of something hard and difficult. We're, we're wrestling with all kinds of things. But I want you to know that, again, our circumstances in life are not an indicator of the heart of Jesus towards us and for us. And listen to what Paul says here. And I want us to read this together out loud on three. Do your best to keep up, and if not, it's okay. It will just be like this incredible, messy choir of goodness as we read Romans 8, 28 through 30 together. Here we go on three. One, two, three. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Friends, can we get an amen just for this? Oh man, amen, amen. This this is good news. And we know that in all things, in all things, God works it for good to those who love him and are called according to his purposes, who are conformed to his likeness. And good, he works it to good, even when it's not good. Because not everything's good that happens in life, right? There's some bad, hard, difficult, painful things. And even as I was talking to my friend that I mentioned to you this week, weekend, we were talking about our own stories and talking about the stuff that we've come through and the, the pain points and the brokenness and, and, and watching how God in his goodness somehow filters all that stuff through his hands and repurposes my pain, my failures, my mistakes, my background, who I am, my gifting. He does it as only he can do it. And so is true for you. So is true for you. And he's conforming us to who? What does it say in this passage? To who? To his son, to Jesus. He's conforming us 
to Christ in his character, who he was and what he's about, and in our competencies, not in the sense of our sure brilliance, but rather in taking on the way of Jesus and what he was about while I was here on the earth. And that friend I mentioned to you, I said, hey, one of the things we need to distinguish is between the organism and organization of the church and religion and Christianity and Jesus. Because unfortunately, all the churches that may say that they're about Jesus aren't truly about Jesus. And that's why we got to come face to face with Jesus. So me and my friend, we're going to start meeting weekly going through the Gospel of John together. Because I want him to see Jesus for Jesus. Not some other way that we have made Jesus to look like what we want him to look like. And we miss him in the midst of it. But again, I want you to know that Jesus is doing this work in you. And he's made a way that for us who are in Christ, we're welcomed in. And everybody's invited, by the way, but we're welcome and we're called sons and daughters of God. We have been justified in faith, through faith, by faith. And he's also going to glorify us. And we're seated, it says in Ephesians, at the right hand of the Father. We're seated in the heavenly places with Jesus. We're seated with him and we join him and what he's called us to. We've been adopted. We're called holy, blameless, and righteous. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's working it together for good, even the moments that you've blown. So hear me today. As you're thinking about life and as you're thinking about this passage that we looked at through Numbers, I don't want you to get disconnected from how God is involved in your life. Because I know some of you here today, you're like, there's no hope for me. And the good news tells us, if you have breath in your lungs, he's not done with you yet. He's not done with you. And so as we think about what we've read, I want to give you a couple things just to consider. Obedience to Jesus was never meant to be optional. That is a very American Christian idea. That when Jesus asks us to do something, it's up for debate. And again, we respond because of what we just read. Obedience is actually our way of saying not only thank you, but I want to. I know that in you is the way of life, and I want to come after what you have for me. It's for my benefit. It's for my flourishing and the flourishing of others. His commands are not burdensome. Even when they're hard or difficult, they are a gift to our lives and a gift for others when we walk in the Jesus way. But if you're at a point here today and you're like, man, obedience to Jesus is optional, I just want to invite you to consider with me for a moment. Have you truly seen Jesus for who he is? Have you beheld him? Have you seen him for all that he has for us? Because Jesus made it clear, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. All that I've commanded. This is called the Great Commission. And again, we are just simply responding. We're responding to his work in our lives. We're saying, yes, Jesus. We're saying, yes. And here's what's funny. Sometimes God shows up in ways that are inconvenient for our timetable. Have you ever noticed that? Have you noticed that? Like this week when I called my friend, he had called me Wednesday, and I just was like, I don't have time to talk about this event. Like that's what I really was at. And thankfully I have a spirit-filled wife that says, you need to call this guy. And you should just call him. And even if you have to be honest, like it's kind of crazy right now. And, and I was like, you know what, you're right. And I'd already had him in my mind to call because I was like, man, Lord, 
I don't want to lose sight of why we're even doing foundations for the valley. It's for this friend of mine. It's for the next generation. It's for my son, Ray. It's for my nieces and my nephews. It's for your children and their children. It's to not lose sight of what we're about. And so I called as a response to Jesus. And man, I'm so grateful I did. But I would have missed it if I hadn't been willing to say yes. And again, it took me two, two to three days to get back to him. So I don't want to make it sound like I was like right on it, all right? I don't want to say I'm like the hero of the story. This is about Jesus. But the next part of this is that our identity in Christ is not the same thing as our circumstances in life. And another way to say this is the heart of Jesus isn't based on our circumstances in life or the consequences that we experience in life. So his character, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's made a way through what he's done for us that our identity is secure. But there are things that he has for us, things that he wants us to walk in, things that he wants us to be co-heirs and co-laborers with him on. Another way to say that is that there are good works he's prepared in advance for each and every one of us to step into because we are his masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus, as Paul would say in Ephesians 2.10. There are things he has for us, and he wants us to join him in those things. But if, if you're not careful, one of the things you can do is you can think that he doesn't have things for you. That's the one danger. And again, it's responding to what Christ has done for us. That's the one danger. The other danger is, hey, if I follow Jesus and if I'm coming after his ways, everything in my life will look like X, Y, and Z. I'll have perfect health. I'll have the car I always wanted. I'll be in this house. My friend group, man, we're just really popping. You know, whatever it is, right? Things are going the way I want it to go. But the reality is God's still faithful even when our circumstances aren't good. He's still working. That's why we see things like in Lamentations 3, where he's crying out to God. He's lamenting, literally. That's what Lamentations means. And he's talking about how hard it is in Lamentations 3. And it says in the New Living Translation, but dare, I dare to hope, I dare to hope that I'll see you, that I'll see you in your ways again. Because the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. It's an understanding of who he is, even when these things aren't going the way I want it. In Hebrews 11, we're told about people who had great faith like Abraham. He went without knowing, and God called him a man of faith. But then in that same chapter, there are people who are sawed in half, and they're called people of faith. Is that an indication of God's character and love for them? because the circumstances didn't go the way we would want it or deem them as successful or good. No. It's saying that God has a way of working, like we said in Romans 8, in ways that we can't really fathom or understand. Them being sawed in two, was that a good thing? No, we're not saying that. <laughs> but we're saying that they were still marked and called people of faith. Again, don't get it confused. We're not talking about karma here. We're talking about Jesus and what he's done for us and how he's at work with us. And then a couple other things here. And it's, will you take the path of sacrifice that leads to life? Or will you settle for the path of ease and comfort that leads to death? This is just a decision we daily have to make. And as I'm in conversations with people, as I'm talking to people, I'm reminded that there is a way of life that leads to life, true life in Christ. And as I think about that in my own story, 
where I have to decide to join him and what he has for me? Or will I settle for the, the path of ease and comfort that leads to death? And, and when I say sacrifice, sometimes sacrifice isn't always like, wow, I have to grin and bear something that's difficult and cuts and hurts. Sometimes it's knowing the thing that God has specifically for me to do versus somebody else and what they're called to do. Like, I know for me, I'm not called to climb every mountain and charge every hill. I'm not. Old Joe, 20s, 30s Joe, would say, yeah, I am. Every, every opportunity, every hill, let's go. And now that I'm so old and wise, no, I'm just kidding. Now that, but I've just learned recently, like, hey, no, I'm not meant to charge every mountain. That's not my mountain to climb. But that's somebody else's mountain to climb. And the mountain is still a good thing, but it requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice, and it's a good thing. But again, which way are you going to go? For the nation of Israel, except the four people, <laughs> they chose the latter. And it led to death. It led to death, not life. And again, we know God isn't done with the nation of Israel. We know, even as we're in this time of, of uh, a lot of things going on in Israel, and we, we still know that he's not done with those people. And we're prayerful and praying for them in the midst of what it is that God may do in difficulty. And this brings us to the other part of this is not equal gifts, but equal sacrifice. And I said this last week, and I just want to encourage us because we could look at sacrifice based off what I can give compared to somebody else. But that's never the way God has intended us to look at sacrifice. He's asking us and inviting us to give based off what he has given to us. And to say to him, I'm willing to do it even when it hurts and even when it's inconvenient and even when it's uncomfortable and I'm not waiting for somebody else to do it for me. These are conversations Amy and I are having right now during this, this time and campaign where we're saying, Jesus, we, we want to be open-handed. But again, it's not about the size of the gift. It's about the size of the sacrifice for the individual. And for some of us, it's going to look different. And that, hey, this is why we got to walk with God. We got to let him speak. We got to let him have his way and to lead us forward. And then as we think about this, again, what sacrifices are you willing to make to step into the promised land? What, what are the sacrifices you're willing to make to step into the promised land? And, and as we think about that, I just want to remind you Again, it will require sacrifice of time, treasure, talent to join Jesus and what he has for us as a church, but also in our own lives. It, this isn't a life when we follow Jesus where it's always easy and comfort. Yes, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But it, Paul made it clear in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the son of man who lives in me, the son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory, as he says in Colossians 1. And so we want to just invite ourselves to consider what sacrifices are we willing to make. And I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And as they come up, I just want to remind you of a couple of things that we're, we're doing as a church here. And I want to invite you and consider being a part of them. 40 days of prayer and fasting, community groups that are really a key part, key part of the process that we have here at Riverbend for people to have relationships, to be known and, and encouraged and sent. 
You know, we, we want that for you. We want you to experience that. And then the all-church banquet that's coming up here, October 15th, next Sunday. But as we think about this, I, I just want to ask ourselves and to consider before the Lord, am I willing, am I willing to say yes to you? Am I willing to even prayerfully ask you, what would you have me to sacrifice? Am I even at that point right now? Am I willing to even say, Jesus, everything I have, I'm opening it to you. I want you to have your will and your way in my life. Open-handedness. This is what we're, this is what we're talking about. While we manage the tension of not knowing and in faith going and wisely discerning and being good stewards of the moment we find ourselves in, the tensions that we're managing. So I want to pray for us. Let's pray together. Father, right now, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you, God, that through Jesus, you've made a way. And as you've made a way through the life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus, you became a sin offering for us as we read that passage in Romans. And so, Lord, I just, I want to, first of all, say thank you, Jesus, for giving it all. And we don't have to earn something. We respond to something. We receive something. And then we give from the something that you have given to us freely. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that there's a willingness to say yes to you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would even lean in. Our posture would say, what are you asking of us right now in this season? What is it that you would have for us? And, Lord, I, I do thank you again that it's not about the equal size but the equal sacrifice part. And, Lord, I just I thank you for even the example of, of what it was that the nation of Israel experienced. Um, what they didn't get and receive, but also the faith of the four, Lord. I just pray you would mark our community with a faith uh, that is spreading like wildfire. And Lord, I pray that um, even for those who are hearing this and trying to figure out their own journey with you, Jesus, maybe today's the day they're going to receive you. And I pray that they would to put their trust and their faith in you, Lord. We're grateful for your love for us. We're grateful for how you go with us. And Jesus, Lord, we do pray for what's going on in the, in the Middle East right now, Father. We do pray uh, for what's happening uh, in Jerusalem, and we, we do pray for what's happening in that part of the world, Lord, where there's a, a lack of peace right now, God. We pray um, that those people would experience your shalom and that your peace would truly abide in that region, God, and that we as your church would stand in the gap for them, but we also, uh, Father, would seek to bring that here with the way in which we go about living our lives by responding to you and saying yes. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.